Jennifer. This is our third week in a series of the book of Daniel. Daniel's in your Old Testament. I've enjoyed studying Daniel with you. I've heard a lot of positive feedback from those who are reading Daniel on your own. These are great stories, and so we'll find ourselves in Daniel chapter 4 this morning. And I always invite you to follow along as we read through the text, as we go through this sermon. Now, as you're turning there, I want to get your thoughts going, get you focused in the direction that we're headed this morning, and how would you define insanity? Maybe it's not a word that you use very often, or maybe that is a word that you use often in your household. I don't know. Insanity has a dictionary definition, it has a clinical definition, but there's also this definition of insanity that's kind of popular. Maybe you've heard it before. Often this quote, this definition of insanity is attributed to Albert Einstein, and we don't know if he really said this or not. Maybe you already know what I'm referring to, but this definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. How many of you have heard of this definition of insanity before? All right, I, was, I like to run my sermons through people who are not of a normal church background just to see how they would receive it. So I was talking to a friend on the phone on Friday, and I described to him this definition of insanity, and he immediately was like, oh, that's a stupid definition. That's not what insanity is. And Albert Einstein didn't really say it. And I said, well, I've already turned in my bulletin insert. This is the direction we're going with the sermon. Uh, It's not the actual dictionary definition of insanity, but there's some truth to it. I want to roll with it this morning. I want to play with this definition of doing the same thing over and over and yet expecting to receive different results somehow, miraculously. If you find yourself going to work every day or school and you're sleepy, you're tired, you're having a difficult time getting through the day, And then at night, when you should be asleep and you should be going to bed, if you're watching TV and you don't have enough self-control to press stop when the next episode is about to play, or you don't have enough self-control to put your phone down, so you stay up later than you should and then you wake up the next day and you're tired and you're sleepy all over again, well, that would fit this definition of insanity, doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. Um, Every night when I go to bed... I walk into my room, it's dark, my eyes are still adjusting, and there's this big box that sits in front of the bed that I put there. And every night I stump my toe on this box, and I get irritated over and over, and I, and I grunt to myself, and I'm like, man, I hate that box. I put that box there over a year ago with the purpose of collecting clothes so that eventually I would take it to caring and sharing. And every day, I forget that that box is there until nighttime when I'm going to bed and I kick the box. I'm doing the same thing over and over again, and I just expect different results. At some point, I need, you know, one of our neighbors or something to come by and pick up that box for me and take it to caring and sharing. But just doing the same thing over and over, and we kind of live our lives like that. Um, What you going to quit is this challenge that this is now the third week in a row that I have mentioned. We officially started it last Sunday. And the, the idea behind the challenge, it's simple enough, simple as it sounds. It's based on Daniel chapter 1 and the example that we see from Daniel and his friends, 10 days. Pick something in your life that's a bad habit, that's a sinful behavior that's become commonplace and just quit it. Try the 10-day challenge. We officially started this last Sunday morning. So technically, you're in a week into it, and I've heard all kinds of feedback. You know, out of all the challenges we've done, this has probably received the most feedback. 
And I'm proud of a lot of you. A lot of you are doing some really interesting things that you're quitting, and I hope it's been a beneficial challenge for you. For those of you who are taking this challenge serious, and you're like, there is a, maybe a secret sin in your life or a really serious bad habit that you need to walk away from, if that's what you picked for 10 days to quit, and if you've experienced some physical blessings or emotional blessings, or maybe, maybe you've been spiritually charged by quitting something, if when Wednesday rolls around, when that 10 days are up, if you go right back to whatever it is that you were doing, even though you've benefited from quitting it, that would also fit this definition of insanity, doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results, or doing the same thing over and over and expecting the results that you got when you quit whatever it is that you're doing. This morning, we're going to look at King Nebuchadnezzar. We've seen his name a lot in the book of Daniel. Uh, We're going to do sort of a case study on him using Daniel chapter 4, and I would say that Nebuchadnezzar is insane. We're going to see in chapter 4 where he actually does go insane, but even before he goes insane, he fits this definition of insanity. So I want to pick up Daniel chapter 4, starting for the sake of time. We're just going to pick up in verse 4. It says, I... Nebuchadnezzar was living at ease in my home and prospering in my palace. That sounds like the life. He has a palace, and he's able to live at ease and prosper. That does not sound like insanity, but it is, and I'll explain why. And I don't want to move past verse 4 without mentioning, he says, I, Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar wrote most of chapter It's written by, which is very unique, it's written by a pagan Gentile king who experienced God. Okay, and this is why this chapter is so interesting. Look at verse 5. I saw a dream that frightened me. The NRSV says, My fantasies in bed and the visions of my head terrified me. So here at the time is the most powerful man in the world who... Uh, Some have called him bulletproof. He's untouchable. Nobody can harm him. He has the most powerful army in in the world. Nobody can get through to him, but yet God can still reach him, and God reaches him through his dreams. This is not the first time... Uh, In the book of Daniel, the Nebuchadnezzar has had a dream that disturbed him and caused him to lose sleep. Uh, We didn't really look at Daniel chapter 2 for this sermon series, but if you're familiar with Daniel 2, he has a similar problem. In Daniel chapter 2 and verse 1, it says, in the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams, his mind was troubled, and he could not sleep. You see how similar chapter 2 and verse 1 and chapter 4 and verse 5 are. He has dreams. These dreams are bothering him. They're disturbing his mind, and he can't sleep. Uh, Most of my life, I've had some sleep problems. I've had problems going to sleep. For those of you who can just lay down on your bed at night and go right to sleep, I've never liked people like that because I can't do that. That's when my mind really gets going. And so getting to sleep has been a challenge most of my life and staying asleep. I've just had sleep problems. And I'm not looking for advice because I've talked with many doctors about it and things are going a lot better in my life the last few years, except for the fact that probably on average, maybe about once a week, at about three or four in the morning, I wake up to someone shaking me or someone crawling over me into the bed with me. 
And usually it's my daughter. In fact, every time it's my daughter because my son's still caged in in that crib. <laughs> and every time it's the same. I'm like, oh, cherish this night. I'm finally asleep. I'm in a deep sleep. What are you doing? And I'm groggy. And then she responds with the same thing every time. And parents, you could probably finish the sentence for me. She says, I had a bad dream or I had a nightmare. And I'm too tired to even try to help her, so I just go back to sleep and just hope that she'll forget it by the next day. Why did God create us in a way that we have dreams? I don't know. I'm not going to get into all the definitions and understanding of what dreams are and how they work. Why kids have nightmares, have bad dreams, and they're just innocent little kids. I don't understand that either. Just because we have a dream doesn't mean that God is trying to communicate something to us. I believe if God wants to communicate something to us through a dream, he'll make that known to us. And he does that to Nebuchadnezzar because he disturbs him. Sometimes we have sleep problems because we're stressed out in life and we're too overwhelmed and it affects our sleep. Sometimes we have sleep problems because we drink too much caffeine and too close to bedtime we drink caffeine. Or maybe have sleep problems for different reasons, too many lights on in the room. There could be numerous reasons why you might have sleep problems. But if you're like me, the older I get, the more I appreciate a good night's sleep. And the more it affects me if I don't get sleep. My brain is foggy. I'm slower. Things just don't seem to click or to work as well. And Nebuchadnezzar, in both chapters 2 and chapter 4, he's having these sleep problems, and it's God-induced. God is sending these dreams. God is trying to get through to him. So what does he do? Well, Daniel chapter 4, verse 6 and 7, he does the same thing that he did in Daniel chapter 2. He calls all the wise men of Babylon. He summons them and he says, tell me what my dream means. He's disturbed by it and he wants to know. And in verse 7, all the wise men of Babylon, they say, we can't help you. We don't know what it means. Now, for the sake of this lesson, we haven't read the dream yet. We will in just a moment. But once you do, it doesn't take a genius to decode this dream. It doesn't take a genius to figure it out. The dream is directed at him. So these wise men of Babylon probably know that, or at least they have an idea, but he's a king. You don't want to tell kings bad news. So they just say, sorry, we can't help you. A guy named John Ortberg is a great Christian author, and he's done some work on Daniel chapter 4 on Nebuchadnezzar, and he's compared the journey that Nebuchadnezzar goes through, especially up until the end of the chapter with 12-step recovery programs and the the language that's used in 12-step recovery programs. And there's this word, enabler. A lot of you probably have enablers in your life who just tell you what you want to hear. And and if you've known somebody who has struggled with some addiction, there's probably somebody in their life that's an enabler. And Ortberg says that the wise men of Babylon are enablers. They're not going to tell Nebuchadnezzar what the dream is really about. They're not going to tell him the truth because they're enablers. They don't want to really help him. And we live in a world and a culture that enables insanity. Based on the definition that we proposed at the beginning of this lesson, doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. This month we've talked a lot about false gods and idols and bad habits and sinful behaviors that become commonplace in our life. And we know how those things can become destructive to us physically and emotionally and spiritually. And yet the world around us says if it feels good, 
Just keep doing it. It doesn't matter. Don't think about the future too much. Don't worry about those things. Just do whatever makes you feel good. That means the world around us enables insanity. So the wise men of Babylon aren't able to help Nebuchadnezzar in his sleep problems, his dream problems. So he does what he remembers he did last time, and he calls in a guy named Belteshazzar, a.k.a. Daniel. He's given that name in Daniel chapter 1. That's his Babylonian name, but his name is Daniel. Daniel in chapter 2 was able to tell him what the dream was and what the dream means. And so he remembers Daniel and he calls him in. He said, here's my dream. And I want to read this dream starting in verse 10. So if you want to pick up there, follow me in chapter 4. Upon my bed, this is what I saw. There was a tree at the center of the earth and its height was great. The tree grew great and strong. Its top reached to the heaven, and it was visible to the ends of the whole earth. Its foliage was beautiful. Its fruit was abundant, and it provided food for all. The animals of the field found shade under it. The birds of the air nested in its branches, and from it all living beings were fed. I continued looking in the visions of my head as I lay in my bed, and there was a holy watcher coming down from heaven. He cried aloud and said, cut down the tree and chop off its branches. Strip off its foliage and scatter its fruit. Let the animals flee from beneath it. Let the birds from its branches, but leave its stump and roots in the ground. With a band of iron and bronze, let the tender grass, in the tender grass of the field, let him be bathed with the dew of heaven. Let his lot be with the animals of the field and the grass of the earth. Let his mind be changed from that of a human and let the mind of an animal be given to him. And let seven times pass over him. The sentence is rendered by the decree of the watchers. The decision is given by order of the holy ones in order that all who live may know that the Most High is sovereign over, over the kingdom of mortals. He gives it to whom he will. He sets over it the lowliest of human beings. So Daniel's in Nebuchadnezzar's chambers here, and he's saying, this is my dream. It's a dream that's really, essentially, about this giant, magnificent tree where all the birds nest in the tree and all the animals come to it for food and for shade. And then the tree is chopped down. Essentially, that's what the dream is about, this giant tree. And this holy watcher shows up and says, cut it down to its stump and leave its roots. But take everything else away from this tree. Strip it away and then... Whatever this tree is seems to represent some sort of human being and that he's going to live with the animals and have the mind of an animal. Strange dream. Nebuchadnezzar has no clue what it means. So he looks to Daniel and he says, you can interpret dreams. Your God has given you the ability to do so. What does this mean? And then in verse 19 and following, Daniel doesn't really want to tell him at first. He's going to, but he's distressed because he knows that the dream is about Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar says, you can tell me. You know, I'm a big boy. Tell me what this means. And then Daniel's explaining the dream. And in verse 22, he says, it's you, O king. The dream is about you. And he goes on to explain how the dream is about Nebuchadnezzar and the tree that's going to be chopped down is Nebuchadnezzar and his kingdom. And then in verse 25, after he explains all this, I'm going to pick up midway through verse 25. The NRSV says, until you have learned that the Most High has sovereignty over the kingdom of mortals and gives it to whom he will. Some of your translations say, until you have acknowledged 
the Most High. If you underline in your Bibles, I underlined that earlier this week, until you have learned. Nebuchadnezzar, the most powerful man in the world, who seems pretty much untouchable, still has some lessons to learn. And basically, what Daniel is telling him is this dream is about you. This dream is about Nebuchadnezzar. But he doesn't leave it at just that. In verse 27, something really interesting happens. After he's explained the dream and told him what it's about, and he has a lesson to learn, in verse 27 he says, Therefore, O king, may my counsel be acceptable to you. And then Daniel steps in and gives him some advice. And he says, Atone for your sins with righteousness and your iniquities with mercy to the oppressed, so that your, your prosperity may be prolonged. Basically, what Daniel is telling him is, you need to repent. You need to change. All this will happen to you if you continue to be self-reliant, if you continue to view yourself as a God, if you continue to rely on your own pride, then this is all going to be lost. Unless you repent, unless you change. Continuing with this 12-step language. If the wise men of Babylon are enablers, well, Daniel is doing an intervention. He's willing to step into Nebuchadnezzar's life and to tell him what he needs to hear. He knows that Nebuchadnezzar has a violent temper. He has seen it. He's experienced it. He knows it's dangerous to speak these words to Nebuchadnezzar. He could have just left it at the explanation of the dream. Instead, he says, you need to change. Stop treating the oppressed the way that you do, to repent of your sins, to turn from your pride. We all need people in our lives like Daniel who are willing to speak truth to us. I intentionally try and surround myself with a certain few people that are willing to tell me the truth. I do this each week with my sermons. I have friends that are ministers who will listen to my sermons and who will tell me honest feedback. Here's some things that worked. Here's some things you need to work on. They're not going to just tell me what I want to hear or what I feel like I need to hear. They're, they tell me what I need. You know, They're willing to speak truth to me. And I have my wife and other close friends who know me well in, in the form of a friendship, of a relationship, who are willing to... Tell me if I'm being too judgmental or overly critical or they know myself and my tendencies and they're willing to tell me to stop doing something. They're speaking truth into my life in the context of this relationship and we need people like that. People like Daniel who step in and tell Nebuchadnezzar, this is hard for me to say, but you need to change. We need people like that. And we need to be people like that for others. It doesn't mean we just walk around saying everything that's on our mind. It's in the context of a relationship that's been forged for a long time between Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar. Verse 28, all this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. Verse 29, at the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. A whole year goes by, and he finds himself in the same place. He's back on the roof, he's walking around, and he's looking at everything that he's done. Verse 30, And the king said, Is this not the magnificent Babylon, which I have built as a royal capital by my mighty power and for my glorious majesty? You notice how many times he says, My. He's sitting on 
the, the roof or walking around and he's looking. He's like, look at my creation. Look at my Babylon. And if you think about Nebuchadnezzar from history, he's pretty powerful. Babylon was one of the greatest cities the world has ever known, and he ruled Babylon at the height of its power. He had all these great military conquests, but even that in the city of Babylon. He had a double wall built around the city, that, and he had these lions carved into it and glazed brick. He took some of the temples to the different gods and rebuilt them, and he had a temple built to his god, Marduk. And it was decorated in gold. He had the Tower of Babylon built that stood 300 feet above the city. He had the Hanging Gardens built for his wife, which was one of the seven wonders of the world. So when he's looking over his roof, and he's looking, uh, looking on his roof, he's looking over Babylon, he's seeing a lot of beautiful, amazing projects that he's been a part of, and he's saying, look at what I have done. So based on this definition of insanity, he's still insane. He's still doing the same thing over and over and just expecting different results. And here's what I mean by that. Is that God has been trying to reach him. God's been trying to reach him through these dreams. So he's, been, he's had these times of sleep disturbances and being bothered by that. In chapter 2, chapter 4, he's seen what God has done. In chapter 3, when he threw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace, and, and they wound up being okay. So he knows God, he has contact with God, and then when he's doing better, when he's sleeping better, he just goes back to his old ways. So he's still insane in that sense. But then he really does go insane in Daniel chapter Four, verse 31, while the words were still in the king's mouth, a voice came from heaven, O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is declared, the kingdom has departed from you. You shall be driven from human society, and your dwelling shall be with the animals of the field. You shall be made to eat grass like oxen, and seven times will pass over you, and then these words again, until you have learned, until you have acknowledged The Most High has sovereignty over the kingdom of mortals and gives it to whom he will. And then verse 33, you get where this picture is coming from. Immediately the sentence was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven away from human society, ate grass like oxen. His body was bathed with the dew of heaven until his hair grew as long as eagle's feathers and his nails became like bird's claws. So based on the definition of insanity we're using, he was already insane, but now he really has gone insane. God took his sanity from him. He lost his kingdom. He lost everything. He hits rock bottom. He goes out in the woods. He lives like an animal. grows his hair and his fingernails and his toenails out, and he probably looked a little bit scary. We don't know about how much the common people knew at the time. Because he eventually is going to become king again. He's going to get his kingdom back. His sanity will be restored to him. But at this moment, in this time, this is the worst thing that's ever happened to him. He basically has everything you could ever want, and it's taken from him. Not because a great army comes in and takes it away from him, because God takes it from him. God's been trying to communicate to him, and then so the only thing that he could take from him was his ability to reason, his sanity. It's the worst thing that's ever happened to him, but it's also the best thing that's ever happened to him. If you've ever been in one of those positions in life where maybe one of those sinful behaviors that we've been talking about catches up to you, maybe you've hit rock bottom, I don't know what it would be for you, 
Those can be extremely painful, but they can also sometimes be one of the best things that's ever happened to you because that starts the road to recovery or the road back to God. So he loses his sanity. And then in verse 34, we get this strange little verse. It picks back up in first person, so Nebuchadnezzar's writing again. When that period was over, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me, or my sanity returned to me. So Nebuchadnezzar finally chooses sanity by submitting to God. If insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results, then for the sake of this lesson, I guess sanity is submitting and surrendering your life to God in all areas. And that's what he finally does. He doesn't just look up and then boom, the sanity comes back. He, he releases the pride that he once had because there's no reason to have pride anymore when you're living like he's living. He releases his self-reliance. He releases his desire for himself to be a god or to settle for these idols, these cheap god substitutes. And finally, with his whole being, with his heart, with his soul, he looks to God. He chooses sanity by finally submitting to God. He goes home, back to his old palace, but he has a new mind. His kingdom is restored to him, but he's not the same person. He's gone through the lowest of lows, but when he comes back, gets his kingdom back, and he's King Nebuchadnezzar again, he's a different person this time around. Now, I'm not trying to reduce, you know, if you're thinking about mental health issues and things like that, especially uh, this month as we're doing the special class on mental health, uh, I'm not trying to simplify it and say, all you got to do is just look to God and your mental health issues will go away. No, I'm really proud that Eddie Gooch is with us this month and what we're studying, what we're looking at this class. And if you're struggling with anything or have a family member, I encourage you to check that out. But for the sake of what Nebuchadnezzar was going through, God was trying to reach him and he kept running from him. That's insane. And to find his sanity, he finally submits his life to God. When you When you read Bible stories, maybe you're like me, and a lot of people do this, we have a tendency of viewing ourselves as the hero in the story. Daniel chapters 1 through 6 has a lot of great stories. And it's important to admire people like Daniel and want to imitate his faith, or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But if I was being completely honest with you, the last few years of my life, I've felt a lot more like Nebuchadnezzar. Not because I'm a king, because I'm not. Not because I have a palace, because I don't. Although there's a lot of people in developing countries that might argue that I would have a palace. I feel more like Nebuchadnezzar because sometimes I feel like I fit that definition of insanity. When God's trying to communicate something to you, you know what you're doing is wrong, or whatever it may be, And maybe when things are going sour, when things are going south, you turn to God and you want help, but then when things clear up a little bit, you feel better mentally, then you go back to whatever it is that you're doing. There's this old story, it's a short little story, I don't know if it's fictional, if it really happened, but it's about this Bible class teacher who didn't want to just teach the lesson to these 5th and 6th grade students, she wanted to have them act it out. So she was assigning different parts to the students, and she told one student, you're going to play the role of God. 
And as the class was going on and she was getting the kids in their position for their parts they're going to play, she felt a tug on her shirt and she looked down and it's a sixth grade boy and he said, I just really don't feel like playing God today. Can you get somebody else to do it? And when he said that, she said a light bulb went off. And she thought, man, how often do we try to do that? We try to play the role of God in our own lives, or we try to settle for cheap God substitutes. And that's insane. It's never going to work, and yet doing the same thing over and over and expecting the same results, for whatever reason, we live like that. And to be honest, we live in different times than Nebuchadnezzar. You know, he lived before Jesus roamed this earth, but we live in a time where we have God's Word, and and we know about Jesus. We know that God became one of us. He went so far to reach us that he became one of us. And in John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. Jesus offers us a different way. And if you've been a Christian for a long time, What that means probably is that you keep choosing the way. You keep choosing sanity. You keep choosing to follow and to submit your life to God. And if you haven't become a follower of Jesus, He is the way. This morning, I want to stop living in insanity. And I imagine you do too. So either we have to decide to commit and to submit our lives to God over and over, day after day. Or maybe you need to make that decision for the first time in your life and be baptized into Christ. I'm not sure where you're at. We're going to sing a few more songs. Grab one of our shepherds if you need prayers. Come up front if you need to respond. Uh, This church will love you and accept you. Let's stand up and continue to sing. Everyone.